Welcome to the Food, Family and Friends podcast, proudly presented by worldpodcasts.com. Now it's time to join your host, Vanessa Baxter. Hey there, it's Vanessa Baxter again, and you're with me to listen to the Food, Family and Friends podcast, where we're all about nourishing relationships through food. And today is a really exciting guest because I have got Nicole, and she is a private chef from San Francisco. She comes from a small rural town in Rhode Island, but she is passionate about food and travel. And she is here in New Zealand because she's absolutely fallen in love with this country. But she has been passionate about growing, procuring, preserving, eating, and more importantly, sharing this passion since she was a child. So we're going to have a chat about how her wanderlust quickly set in after falling in love with the numerous types of cuisine that she's been introduced to around the world. She has sailed and cooked and cooked for the rich and famous in San Francisco. And she is here now for the second time in New Zealand, having a look at a few opportunities that potentially she could end up uh, spending a bit of time cooking here too. It's really exciting to have met her on one of her trips here and I'm thrilled to bits to introduce her to you now in our studio on our Food, Family and Friends podcast. I'll take what's good. Hey, welcome to the studio. It's so exciting to have you here at Podcast New Zealand. Welcome (laughs) to this beautiful country where I have absolutely fallen in love with your food scene. I mean, why don't more people know about that in Auckland? Why don't people know about this? Oh, isn't it amazing? It's so burgeoning. It's, it's just, it reminds me, you know, being from, or, you know, living in Northern California now, I feel like the, the connection that's happening between farms and restaurants is growing just the way it had almost 20 years ago with Alice Waters, who, who was the American pioneer of the Mm. slow food movement. And, I know people here are into it. You know, everyone I meet is all over it. They want that organic farm, you know, grown everything onto their plate at every restaurant and the restaurants are starting to respond too. So I think the amazing thing about Auckland, because I'm also not originally from here, you know, I'm Australian and then I lived in uh, Asia for 16 years and you come to Auckland and it is so advanced in the food world in so many ways but it's just really humble and it's just happened because that's just New Zealand not because they're trying to follow a trend or they're trying to be first it's just the way it is so it's the most beautiful result because the people are just lovely and sharing and everyone's talking about yeah garden to table because that's just naturally what occurs here and everyone else is desperately trying to create it in their cities and you come here and it's like wow and they're quite inventive in their cafes and things here absolutely i've i've had some dishes that i have been inspired by and i'm taking home with me oh yay um you know tomorrow yesterday morning i went to uh the unbakery and uh, I had this, my friend and I, we went and bought a couple of different dishes to share. And one was this kimchi chickpea pancake. So, wow. Yes. So, you know, kind of like a, a French panisse crispy pancake with this rich flavor and vegetables within and topped with the salad. And uh, I just fell madly in love. And I got to sit next to Megan May, who's the oh, wow. founder and yeah. owner of the Unbakery last night at a dinner. And so I, you know, went over to her and I said, pardon me, I'm so sorry to bother you, but I must ask you a question. 
how do you make that pancake? And she just started laughing. And she's like, I know people really want this to be, you know, they want the recipe and it's not in the book and yet. And I was oh. going to say, she's got a book. Oh, she's got a book. <laughs> and, and it's coming out with an app, the Unbakery app, which will have more recipes. But, oh, yes, I can't wait till the, the cooked recipe book comes out from there but mm. Mm, so good mm, it is good yeah there's lots there's lots happening so I think that's in Ponsonby isn't it Ponsonby there's, itself is amazing yes Ponsonby has a there's I didn't go to the one in Ponsonby I guess there's an original one in, in near near to Kingsland but I'm not um, oh yes no you're right it's, it's a, Kingsland the little right. guy but I have been to the one in Ponsonby as well in Pons- but Ponsonby is a is a food scene in itself. Mm, I know. It's amazing in Auckland. And it's like that in the rest of the country. Have you managed to visit elsewhere in New Zealand? You know, I spent an entire month um, here in January. So I arrived around on December 28th and was here until January 28th. And in that time, I drove 3,000 kilometers as you do. North Island only. Oh, wow. And my first week was spent without a car in Auckland because I, did, I don't know, I'm... I've been a traveler for a long time. I I have a background in yachting. I'm an adventurous. I want to see the world. I want to experience as much as I can. And so I'm kind of a fly by the seat of my pants traveler. Mm, Me too. I I buy the ticket, but I don't make the reservation for the hotel or the reservation for the rental car or, you know, not really sure which, you know, what I'm going to be doing when I get there. I'll figure it out. Well, it kind of depends who you meet, doesn't it? Exactly. Exactly. So um, when I arrived, uh, there were no rental cars until January 4th. So, oh, because it's peak period. Because it's peak period, and everyone is out on their batches and camping in Coromandel and all these wonderful things. It turns out it was the best. It was a blessing in disguise because I got to spend my time in the city, and I met some people who wanted to show me as many restaurants as possible. And so it was probably 15 or 16 restaurants in a three to four day period that we went to. We just hopped around and had a bite here and there and everywhere. Wow. And then I did did get into the car and drove all over the gaff, all (laughs) over. And, and, and the, the, the quality of what I experienced was consistent Mm. throughout the country. I mean, it can't get much better. You, you're, you're driving along for a few hours and you want a snack and all of a sudden there's a fruit stand at the side of the road and a coffee shop. And coffee. Yes. <laughs> Isn't the coffee amazing no matter where you go? It's mind-blowing. It's awesome. I know. I was so excited when I got here and realized it's really hard to find a bad coffee. Yes. <laughs> and I, I, someone had to explain to me, you know, luckily I met a barista in the, in the beginning at a dinner party who explained to me what the different, you know, being an American, we, were, we are a little bit more limited in what we call our coffees. Mm, sure. So I had no idea what a flat white was. All I knew what to order was an Americano. And somebody joked, all Americans order Americanos. Americanos. <laughs> it's only because we don't know any better. That's the only, we're like, oh, it's so American. I guess that's for me. But once explained, yes, I'm a flat, mm, flat white gal. You're a flat white girl. I, absolutely. It's funny, isn't it? Because even a cappuccino, I know when I, you know, used to go, lived in the States and I would just have a coffee at Starbucks or whatever, because that was pretty much the only place you could get a coffee that wasn't a filter coffee when I lived there. Mm-hmm. And um, it was just so milky. 
I was like, why are they putting so much milk? Because I'd also lived in Italy and I was like, this is not how it's meant to be. And then eventually, you know, even in Australia, they're a bit milky, though Melbourne's good. Um, But I come from Perth and they're they're not really great on coffee either (laughs) there. Sorry, Perth. But um, you come to Auckland and they really seriously know how to do coffee and it's so exciting. But anyway, we're not podcasting about coffee, (laughs) but yay to the coffee industry in Auckland. (laughs) So tell us a bit about yourself because obviously, you know, listeners are going to be like, these two are chatting away, but who is Nicole and what's her story? So just, yeah, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I have a a rather interesting background. I never expected to be a chef, in all honesty. Although if I look back to approximately age 15 or something, when you are in school and you write where you see yourself in 10 years, my, I I found that a few years ago, and my uh, little essay was talking about how I wanted to be the ultimate dinner party hostess. Oh, how gorgeous. And it comes from, I come from a, a family who loves to entertain. Um, both of my parents are passionate about food, and the reason that they are is because they came from families where, A, um, nice food was kind of at a, was a special event because they came from lower income backgrounds during World War II, you know, both born in mm-hmm. 1945. And B, their mothers weren't always the most creative cooks. So when they became adults and they, they married, they realized they could travel the world with their plates. Mm. And so growing up, our table was often covered in, in things you wouldn't normally expect on a typical American plate. Our, our Friday nights, you know, ordering Chinese, there was octopus and squid. And there, you know, we'd go foraging for mushrooms. My father had about a million mushroom foraging books. And we had... Wow. All any new secret cranberry bogs and blueberry bushes that his father had taught him, and we'd so we'd go up and it was really really interesting because where I grew up in uh, New England, I grew up in Rhode Island, and these paths, these roads that were barely there anymore, were actually roads from the Underground Railroad, which I'm not sure if everyone's familiar with. The Underground Railroad is how uh, slaves escaped the South. And got to the north. Wow. So, and along the way, there's just, you know, literal food growing on the side of the Underground Railroad. So did they, how, where did that food come from? Do you think that they... I think it's natural. I think it was indigenous plants. You yeah. Know, the, the cranberries and the blueberries and thing and apples and mm. birch tree, you know, which has a kind of a, a sarsaparilla or, you know, licorice minty flavor that... That was just growing naturally, and of course, people you know use what's what's local to them. Mm-hmm. But so I had this benefit of these parents who were adventurous and looking out there, and and there was always room at our table for another chair. Yeah, and people would often show up at dinner time. You know, surprisingly, you know, <laughs> quote unquote. Oh, we didn't know you were having dinner. Oh, yeah. But of course they did, and my mom was renowned for being the best cook in the family. So I love it. I learned from both of them how to make different things. And my mother's uh, favorite cuisine, which she learned from a, you know, as growing up uh, from a little old Italian nonna who lived next door to her, didn't speak any English, but, you know, beckoned my mother over as a small child and taught her how to make pasta fagiole and um, um, chicken cacciatore and Mm -hmm. all these other things. So it almost became her mother cuisine despite not having a drop of Italian blood in us and so I grew up with these wonderful flavors and what have you and I I saw how my parents made people feel comfortable 
and welcome. Mm. And that is ingrained in me. It's very important to me. I love bringing people together and gendering conversation and making sure everyone feels welcome. It's uh, what is better? Is there anything better? There is nothing better. So, I mean, it's very funny. You know, we've only just met Nicole. And uh, to make sure that I knew who I was going to be talking to, I had a look at the about page on your website. And I just started laughing because it was so similar to me. And, you know, my taglines are kitchens without boundaries and nourishing relationships through food. Yes. And, you know, it's my entire about page is about family and sharing tables and the fact that I've been moved around even as a child or my life and then you know married an expat guy and so we've moved countries all the time and the only way I really truly believed I survived uh, in a really happy place and met so many amazing people was around shared tables and you know you may not necessarily have agreed with the parenting style of you know your friend who was from a completely different country and a different culture and you may not have agreed or necessarily kind of understood their language but my goodness, you know, you share a huge table laden with beautiful food and it doesn't matter. You know, you just share stories and you become friends and everything else is out the window. And I just think food brings people together yeah. in a really positive way. In a very beautiful way. It, mm. it reminds me of one of my favorite quotes in the world. And I might slightly misquote it, but by Cesar Chavez, who said, you know, if you really want to know a man, go to his house and eat with him. Mm. The people who give you their food give you their heart. Yeah, totally. And um, nowadays I make a business of, of, of making dinner parties at people's homes where I work you know, quite intimately with the hosts to find out what their vision, what their, what their reason is, and try to make the food match that. And I, I see a successful joining of minds, and I understand completely what you're saying, that... Not necessarily everyone's going to agree 100% about everything in life. We don't, we're, we're fundamentally unique. different creatures, unique and different creatures. But, you know, we can, we can meet over a beautiful beef bourguignon mm. or a vegan kimchi, mm-hmm. chickpea pancake, mm. and uh, have an experience that you just, you can't take away. And the scents and the flavors from that moment on will remind you of that night. Oh, totally. Look, I interviewed my two teenage boys in here and I said, one of them said that his favourite food at one point was, you know, dumplings that had been introduced to him by a Russian friend in Vietnam. Uh And then the other kid kicked in with, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're also the ones I remember like the first time really ever eating homemade pizza. And I sat here and I thought, oh, my goodness, there's a 14-year-old boy who's remembering back to sitting around a shared table eating homemade pizza in Vietnam with Russian friends. (laughs) You know, it's awesome. (laughs) It it says it all. It makes the world so flat. It's so great. Mm, It's it's fantastic, isn't it? It's a wonderful equalizer. Yeah, it is. So tell me, did you actually study and train to be a chef? You know, after what, uh, I'll tell you a little bit more about my background before Mm. I answer that, in order to answer that question. Sure. So I, you know, had wanted to be this wonderful dinner party hostess, but I didn't think that it was something that would pay the bills, Mm. you know. 
which looking back is just hilarious. But we, we have to learn our lessons in the time that we learn them. Sure. And so I studied math and economics at a university in New Orleans. Highly creative and exciting. Yes, Nicole. yes. <laughs> but you know, it's, it's something, it was, it's exercising both left and right side of the brain because I sure. did was in one of the food capitals of the United States as well. True. So, which completely shaped, again, my mm. palate. So I don't regret a second of that. Um, and I, I came out and I came out of university and got a job at an investment company. I was working with Fidelity Investments as a trader, you know, sitting in a, in a cubicle hive, you know, just a worker bee in a, in a cubicle hive and answering phones. And I was writing menus every day. Yep. And I was dreaming of this restaurant that I'd want to own every day. This is in my early 20s. Mm-hmm. And there was an economic downturn. And um, the company offered everyone who wanted to take it voluntary time off. And the longer you asked for, the more likely they were to give it to you. So I said, all right, you know, I, I don't want to work in this job anymore. I'd done it for two and a half years which was a great stretch. I, I would held the job basically because I liked the people I worked with. But I said, can I take three months off? I'd really like three months off. And I think I asked for the longest amount of time of anyone in the company. And they said, absolutely. This is great. We don't have to pay you. And I hightailed it down to Newport, Rhode Island, which is a sailing Mecca mm-hmm. in the world. You know, it's, it's, well, we all know it here because of the America's exactly, Cup. Exactly, exactly. So the birthplace of the America's Cup. And I knew this, this industry existed. And I um, flogged myself out to every catering company I could just to get more experience on top of the experience I already had, just loving, being passionate about cooking. And I did a lot of odd jobs as well, like buffing hulls and sanding wood. <laughs> oh, good girl. Really anything I could do to get you know, more connections in this network because I wanted to be a yacht chef. I had decided that's what I'm going to do. And along the way, um, I actually had a terrible knife accident at one of these catering events. And I severed tendons in my pinky, my little finger on my left hand while making a sandwich because I was still new and nervous and Mm. cooking. Best thing that ever happened to me. Best thing, I was in a splint for eight weeks Somehow, I still got hired by these crazy clients. <laughs> and they allowed me to hire my cousin slash best friend to do the, all the chopping for me. And I managed the cooking. Oh, that is hilarious. It was hilarious. And, and meanwhile, it was at a huge 13-bedroom mansion overlooking the ocean in Newport. And they, I had my own room in this amazing mansion with this yacht crew as my client. And it went so well. We had so much fun. They flew us, you know, if they flew me all around the country thereafter and the world to do, to continue with regattas. So, and when Fidelity called me back in the middle of the summer and said, Oh, we need you to come back. I'm like, oh, you know what? I can't use the computer because I've got only one hand. <laughs> so I credit that injury for the best thing. And it was the start of this career where I, you know, I gained, I'm a very hard worker and very dedicated to, to doing this. And I think that's probably another similarity that we mm-hmm. share. You know, we're we're going to make magic Pretty determined. Happen. Yes. Yep. And um, through just consistency, I ended up getting repeat clients and kept getting them and freelancing turned into permanent 
And about five years in, where I had just been a self-taught chef, I said, mm. I want to take the next step. And I resigned from my job on a particular yacht. And I booked myself into Ecole Ritz Escoffier, the chef school at the, in the basement of the Ritz in Paris. Very impressive. Yes, I wanted to kill two birds with one stone. A, going to chef school, and B, living in, in Paris. Paris. <laughs> Why not? <Yes. laughs> what an amazing time. So, um, yeah, so that you know, gave me a little bit further credential and definitely helped shape the skills a little bit that mm. I hadn't even realized I had. You know, it's a bit rough around the edges, despite five years of pretty consistent cooking. And that led to something more refined, and it led to exactly what I wanted it to, which was um, a placement on a, a larger yacht when I went back, you know. So, um, but just before that, I'd also gone and done a volunteer session counting elephants in the bush in Kenya. And <clears throat> why? <laughs> well, I had always, actually, the real reason about that one is. When I was a little girl, my father heard my song was that silly song, uh, Africa by Toto. Yeah, yeah. And um, I had decided I wanted to do some kind of volunteer program, and I mm. hadn't been to Africa before. And there's that really silly line. Uh, well, it's not silly, but, you know, sure as Kilimanjaro rises like an empress <laughs> above the Serengeti. And... I, um, so I only, I restricted myself to countries where I could see Kilimanjaro and then the elephant thing seemed awesome because yep. I wouldn't, my heart wouldn't be torn by working with the orphans or something. Yeah. Um, Cause that's what I did. And it is yes, torn. Yes. You want to adopt <laughs> everybody. It's really hard. Wait a second. <laughs> Another parallel lives. Amazing. Oh. Um, and while I was there at some point, I managed to connect with the chef, the camp chef, because we were camping in the bush mm. outside of, uh, outside of a reserve, you know, in the more wild part. And I spent, instead of going on afternoon game drives, you know, to count, there were plenty of people counting. Don't worry. I wasn't, you know, letting anyone down. Down. Uh, I stayed and And learned how to cook Swahili food, you know, traditional bush food and peanut stew. And I had an opportunity to give back, which is important to me. Mm. When we went to a market and I bought all these ingredients and picked out live chickens and they killed them and what have you. And I cooked for them and it was a really nice thing again you know we're coming together and connecting and I'm sharing my food and you're sharing your food and And it's a way to say thank you yes it's so interesting because I'm listening to you and you forget some of the things you've done or or, I mean you've just like I don't know you've just proved such a beautiful point about food again and I've maybe that's taken me back to um, places where I was and I wanted to thank people and I didn't know how to thank them and I didn't have a lot of money to go and buy beautiful gifts and so I cooked for them so yes. many times now yes. you've just brought back all these memories of me cooking for them to say thank you for what you've done um, and always appreciated it was always appreciated always appreciated and it, it you know brings the warmth in you when you're cooking and you can feel the warmth and the love that you're thanking them with mm. I I know I firmly believe that it transfers to the food because I, I feel like the connections that I've made and, and cooked for and had these dinner parties wherever I am in the world, I have a tendency to stay connected with them 
possibly mm. for the rest of my life. Oh, totally. You know? I think so. I think so. And it's nice. It yeah. is. It's really nice, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So you went from Africa. Mm-hmm. Did you then go back yachting or did you head to the States from there? I actually went from Africa to Paris. And then went back to um, yachting. Back to yachting. Yeah, I flew to the Caribbean and found my next position and sailed around for a few more years with this one particular yacht, which was also exciting because it was my first venture into the Mediterranean. Did you and get sick? Did you get seasick at all when you were cooking? No, on I, no. There's, there's, there's only one time. Uh, or there's one set of circumstances that really leads a yacht chef to get seasick. And that is a hangover. I was going to say, it's yes. got to be something to do with <laughs> drinking. <laughs> so, you know, you learn, you you learn, learn. quickly to uh, either moderate or, you know, just stay drunk, whatever, you know. <laughs> mm, I'm sure there are plenty who do. <laughs> there, there are a few in the industry that that does happen. But, it's, yeah. it, you know, that's all said in jest. You know, but yeah, fun times. And I assume in all of that, you met some extraordinary people who came on those yachts as well. Yes, mm. absolutely. And when since I generally worked on sailing yachts, it does attract a different clientele often than the super motor yachts that mm. we see in the tabloids, you know, where people yeah, are sure. really you know, don't want to be seen, but they're being caught on camera, you know, mm. doing surprise, their fabulous surprise. things. I know it's so strange. But the sailing yachts do attract people who are a little bit more about the journey mm. than the destination and want to spend time with each other. Um, and they no, know cool. it's going to be slow. It's, it's slow moving. You know, mm. sailing is not a fast thing unless you are in an America's Cup uh, vessel and I'm, I don't know I think that would be scary, a little too scary yeah, for me yeah that would be scary for me too yeah. <laughs> so did you get to a point in all of that because I also worked in the states and you know I was living a kind of another life I guess in a way as somebody's chef as someone's private chef and I loved it and I don't regret it for a minute but the time came when I went I'm either going to keep being somebody else's chef or I need to jump off this and go and sort out what I'm really going to do because I sort of felt like not in a bad way, but I was living living kind of via someone else's life. You know, they were very wealthy. They had a beautiful home. I was meeting amazing people because I was cooking for them. But at the end of the day, I was cooking for them and sort of vicariously living through their life. And did that sort of happen to you? Did you make a choice at some point that you needed to I absolutely did. There, was mm. a, there just came a day when I said, I don't want to sleep in a bunk bed anymore. Mm. I want a home. I want to be able to have my own schedule. I mean, you're at the whim of a yacht owner or a client, a charter client, or even just a captain who wants mm-hmm. to move. And you can't make plans after, you know, for more than two days in advance unless the boat is out of the water. And even then, you might have responsibilities that you have to attend to. So there did come a time where I just decided it was the right time for me to try a new adventure. And it was... You know, a little scary, mm. a little scary. A, uh, another yacht chef decided that at the same time, and we went to Seattle together. We flew from the Caribbean to Seattle together to take a raw and vegan course. Oh, good on you. And yep. um, Just uh, to broaden your Just to broaden knowledge. horizons, you know, and extend the palate apart from what I'd read. It's always nice to work with an expert in, in a field mm. to, um, to kind of get a new perspective on a cuisine and I wasn't sure if I was going to drive north 
to British Columbia and stack vegetables and study Muay Thai because that seemed like a really great idea at the time uh, because I was so burnt out from cooking for so long and 20 hour days of like I want to be very physical and I just want to I just want to arrange things like I just want to stack zucchini or and you not, know, have, to not have to think too hard or go south and explore California and I stopped in San Francisco and reached out to the only person I knew who lived in the area and said, and I had actually met him in a, in a bar in Antigua, West Indies, many years before, but I hadn't seen him in a while. And I said, hey, I'm in your neck of the woods. Would you like to go out for a drink or something? And he said, I'm in Rhode Island, because he was still working in, in the boats. I'm in Rhode Island, but just what, go stay in my apartment while I'm away. I was like, oh, whatever. I'll be there for a weekend. Oh, sold immediately. Sold. I was sold. There's so many wonderful things about the air of San Francisco This that Auckland actually also embodies mm, for me. You're right, actually. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It's similar. This magic of anything is possible. Mm. This, you know, almost youthful enthusiasm in the culture, a dedication to... Uh, ecology and conservation and um, volunteerism. I've met so many incredible people through my stay here who embody everything that I experienced there, which makes sense of why I've absolutely fallen in love with New Zealand mm. and I can't think of anywhere better, in, in all honesty. Mm. So, yes. And I stayed there and I kept flying out to do some yacht jobs and what have you, and I'd come back and explore and the city and the environs and, and write and volunteer at community gardens and just try to meet chefs. And oddly enough, there's a, there's a, a show called Bizarre Foods with Andrew Zimmern. Yes, I know. Yes. And I was not, you know, featured in the show, but one day I was volunteering with a, a forage based dinner and had no idea that they were going to come film it. <laughs> and so there I am, like, scrubbing muscles with a bunch of strangers, and this TV crew comes in. It was hilarious. You know, my friend still, who I just got another screenshot sent to me of it the other day, but it's something like the luck of the Irish. It is know. the luck of the Irish. Well, at least you didn't end up starring on a reality TV show because there's those of us who made that mistake too. <laughs> <laughs> Best you didn't do that. Well, I'm sure it had a lot of positives oh, as does. well. And it look, does. we're here today. I know. I wouldn't have met you. And that, that goes for many people. But So what are you doing now? What What, what is you, the crux of your business in you, in San Francisco now? So the crux of my business, as I you know transitioned out of out of boats, I had an art gallery ask me to stay. I had been working with this art gallery. This is five years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, they asked me to stay and not go away for any jobs because they said you're fantastic please do all of our openings and all of the christmas parties and this was the my first foray into kind of land cooking there and land cooking i know <laughs> i don't know what to call it i became a land lover and it's funny you'd work at i'd work in these crazy tiny kitchens and at that mm. art gallery the first time i did an event at that particular one i was set up with basically two milk crates in a hallway and not even an electrical outlet. And I'm like plating up hors d'oeuvres for a hundred people in a hallway. And the second event, they moved me up to a closet 
No wonder they wanted you to stay on. They knew no one else would be crazy (laughs) enough. (laughs) I look back on it with, I love it, but it's just hilarious. But the thing is, you know, once you've been in a a kitchen or a galley that's moving, you can make Mm -hmm. magic happen anywhere. So um, shortly thereafter, there was a, a website called Kitchet. Dot com and K-I-T-C-H-I-T. And they unfortunately just folded. But they created this database to bridge the gap between uh, folks who wanted to have a dinner party at home but didn't want to hire a caterer because mm. hiring a caterer is really, um, it can be intimidating. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you don't want to work with a big company if you're just throwing a dinner party for 10. Mm. So this was a way for people to find independent private chefs chefs to come to their home and do this. Um, And having had this background where I had to do so much communication with clients via email, I was, I was a hit. I communicated and I I ended up being the historically most booked chef of any of the countries, uh, any of the cities that they expanded in. And through that also any, any dinner party, would lead to another client of course, as well. So before long, I found myself with this great base. And what I do on, an, on a typical evening would be a dinner party for 12 to 20 people that's you know very high-end, um, multi-course appetizers and have some servers involved and what have you. And that's kind of the bread and butter. But also, I... Um, to these fun cooking classes and, and little birthday parties or there was something out there. I was doing a frozen themed cupcake decorating <laughs> class <laughs> that people went bananas for, for a little while. I it was love it. Out, uh, in a sing along too, by the way. So oh, I love it. Dancing, singing, cooking with three-year-olds. Amazing. <sighs> but, um, so I'm kind of, I like to call myself a kitchen mercenary. So, what I do, I, I'm, whatever you pay me to do to come to your kitchen, I will do. I will come in and I will make you feel warmer in your own home. And your guests feel just lucky to be around you as the host because you've opened your heart and your home to them. And I'm just providing the, the nourishment while mm, there. Nicole, yes. very good, so, very good. Hence the Kitchens Without Boundaries for you too. Yes, yes, yeah. absolutely. Um, and through the time, through this period of time, my focus has gotten a little bit more niche um, because I do have a passion for helping people, mm. you know. And so I'm a baseline gluten-free and organic chef. So no matter who hires me, you're going to, you're, you're just going to have to enjoy gluten-free, gluten-free and, and organic, beautiful farm-to-table cuisine. No matter what you, you know, you, I will not do anything other. It's, you're just going to have to deal with it. And most people either A, you know, are happy about it or B, have no clue because there's still bread and pies and pastries exactly. and what have you. And, um, but I started working with more and more people who are having health issues one-on-one. And this is my more recent foray into kind of personal chefing um, where I'll work with a client for six to eight weeks and go into their home once or twice a week and create healing, a a healing uh, nourishment program for them so they can feel like they're normal people while trying to heal gut 
related issues. Do you teach them how to cook that way or are you preparing the meals and leaving them for them? I primarily prepare the meals and leave them for them, but they're often present and I'm happy to pass along recipes and words of advice. Yes, words of wisdom, (laughs) words of advice. And it's, it's led to an accidental invention, believe it or not. Um, I'm sure you know as a chef, even though we nourish other people all the time, sometimes we leave our own nourishment, you know, to the wind. Uh, yeah, like <laughs> the fact that I just ate four pieces of chocolate on the way here because I realized I hadn't had anything to eat and thought I'd better have something. <laughs> yes. And I was racing out the door and it's dark chocolate, which actually made me feel quite ill because you shouldn't have four pieces <laughs> because I won't have anything else in the house because I'm trying to look after myself. But I still grabbed the blooming chocolate. So, yeah, yeah I hear you yes. completely. Yes. So I realized I was doing this to myself, kind of self-sabotage. Mm. Here I am going to people's homes and teaching them how to eat more healthfully. And what am I doing? The absolute opposite. Mm. You Typical know? chef, though. Typical chef. Mm. So I kind of started cobbling together this mixture every morning. Um, that was, you know, greens powder, which is great. Mm. You know, it's like, oh, okay, that's vegetables. Superfood. Yes, yeah, superfood and some probiotics and like some protein powder and some beef collagen protein powder and you know it, it kind of made this magical mixture and it has chocolate in it so don't worry you know mm. I mean you hear me <laughs> <laughs> yes I hear you <laughs> and just shake that up and I feel like I've at least done one thing to nourish myself mm. for the day and three months later my own health and skin and hair and nails and everything was just so supremely affected for the good mm. that I've decided I need to get this product out to the public and I'm working on that's something a project that I'm working on right now amidst everything else all the all the cooking because I'm flying back to San Francisco tomorrow as I may have spoken to you about before and I will go straight into a three-day exclusive ladies yoga retreat and in a very exclusive gated beach community where another client has graciously lent me her fabulous multi-million dollar beach house just so I don't have to make a long commute you know I'm quite quite fortunate wow and then I got an email yesterday from another client and said oh we'd really like to do a uh, a retreat there for two days ourselves uh, kind of on the same weekend Mm. so fantastic yes and it's very handy I'm like oh mm, you know beautiful I'll just relax in the hot tub at the end of the absolutely oh okay well you're making me feel a bit jealous <laughs> <laughs> but then again I'm off to Vietnam in Yay. a couple of weeks so I'm pretty excited oh, about goodness. that so that's cool um look we have come to the end of our time but it's been so amazing for me to talk to you my mind is going crazy at the similarities of yes. the things that we've done and the way we feel about food and it's so heartwarming for me, because you you assume that there are other people out there who've done very similar things, but you don't necessarily always get to meet them in no. life. And through this podcast, you know, how exciting for me to meet other people yes. and just feel this connection like, yes, I know, I knew I was right about food. <laughs> I knew other people felt like this. But before I let you fly out the door, and I thank you so much for your time because I know you're on a holiday and it means so much <laughs> that you gave some time to come in here. I'm going to give you a quick fire round. Okay. And you're not allowed to think too... You know, you don't think about it too quickly. It's like an either or. Okay. And you just like, whatever comes first to your mind is okay. the answer. Okay. So nuts or seeds? Nuts. Gelato or American ice cream? Oh, gelato. Potatoes or rice? Potatoes. Waffles or pancakes? 
pancakes? Cheesecake or slice? And the slice, oh, I knew you were going to ask what slice. Okay, so that's very Kiwi. You know, like kind of like a chocolate caramel slice and things. We tend to have them in our cafe here. So it's slice. Slice, yeah. Yeah. New York or San Francisco? Silly question. Yeah, San Francisco <laughs> all the way. Fairy floss or lollipops? Lollipops. Mm, me too. Bistro or restaurant? Like a, a, like a five-star restaurant or a bistro? I'd generally go for the bistro. Mm. Uh, red wine and cheese or a dessert with sweet wine? Oh, God. Can uh, I have both? <laughs> that's a both. That's both. Why limit oneself? Exactly. Dessert first followed by cheese is always <laughs> Just good. Just have an extra course. That's exactly. All. Perfect. Uh, stone fruit or berries? Stone fruit. Oh, really? Yeah. Even with all the, the health thing and like I love stone fruit too, but everyone kind of, oh, you know, you need to have your goji berries and your blueberries. and I love the berries. I think they're great, but I'm almost a little tired of them, you mm, know? Yeah. And there's something that's so special about a perfectly ripe peach. Yeah. Or baked. Oh, in the oven and all the sweetness comes yes. out and a bit of mascarpone on the oh, top. Poached yeah. plums. Oh, poached peaches, yum. Yes. Oh, uh, so many, so much good stuff. Oh. Exactly. And have you got a favorite cookbook? Have I got a favorite cookbook? Um, I don't at no. the moment. I don't at the moment because I'm, I'm addicted to almost all of the Ottolenghi Mm, um, you know, mm. the plenty, plenty more Jerusalem and Nopi. Yep. And I have all of those. Uh, I, I am using the daylights out of my unbakery. Oh, well, yes. With so the local one. Good old Megan May. So yes. she gets a hit. Yes. And um, because that's, I like to incorporate vegan, you know, uh, vegetarian, paleo, gluten-free and carnivorous aspects to almost every dinner party. That's so awesome. everyone's covered. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are, but at, at the end of the day, you may have a, a similarity in this cookbooks are inspiration, inspiration. for me, but they are not the, um, not the be all and end all. And I'm mm-hmm. very, not dedicated to following recipes. Yeah, no, I'm exactly the same. I'll curl up with a glass of wine on the couch and read it yes. and then get an idea. Oh, that's what I'm going to make. Yes. And, and then I go on and make it, but don't worry about necessarily going back to check the recipes. Exactly. I'm exactly the same. So cool to have you on the show. And what I'm hoping is I'm going to have enough connections in the USA that the next trip I make out there, I can interview people on the spot in their hometown. So oh, absolutely. let's keep our fingers crossed that that could happen in the future. Yes. It'll keep in touch with uh, me and I will Definitely. Introduce you to my chef network everywhere everywhere you want to go, really, because it extends worldwide at this point. Sounds like amazing. Yeah, it was an absolute pleasure to meet you. Thank you so much for coming in. Thank you. It was a pleasure to meet you. On one particular day, you know, the model, I'm demonstrating to this model of how to make, you know, how to sear off steak after using a sous vide machine. And there was a little bit too much oil and the side of the pan was too low. And all of a sudden there were three foot flames, you know, going (laughs) into the hood. And she and I absolutely keep our calm and turn to each other and smile and, and just kind of work through this massive fire. Was it in a studio? It was, in the TV studio? It was at, uh, we were filming actually in an Airbnb location. Um, 
was a beautiful home in San Francisco. And, oh, no. Uh, no. There was nothing, nothing hurt. I mean, with a great stainless steel hood, there was a reason this kitchen was chosen. And obviously, it didn't make the cut into the cooking lessons. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so anytime anyone orders a, a Nova sous vide machine, you know, you get five lessons of me oh, and this beautiful okay. model Cara teaching you how to make these easy recipes. Um, and then you set fire briefly. Uh, yes. Yeah. But you can't see that. You can't see that at the lessons. Oh, I, I can't awesome. believe they cut it out. It's so strange. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I actually just pressed record while you were talking that because I knew it was going to be a good story. So, <laughs> <laughs> But it, no, it reminds me of my days being a contestant on MasterChef, which was the maddest thing I've ever done. And yeah, the moment that there were flames or smoke or it looked like you were going to do something really wrong, you know, you'd have all the TV cameras around you and, and everyone ready for the tears and the tantrum so that it would make fantastic television. So I, I know all about those moments. They're oh not ideal. <laughs> no, they're not ideal, especially when there's cameras around, but they're also hilarious. And I wouldn't I wouldn't have had it any other way. But thank I'll you for your gracious. Good, uh, 